Welcome to the 26th edition of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition, we will just take a deep dive into the NCAA tournament, which kicked off first game of the first round after the first four was played on Thursday night. First game of the first round was Virginia Tech, Florida, with Florida prevailing 75-70 in overtime. Uh, great game to open up March Madness. Uh, Virginia Tech hit a buzzer beater at the very end of the game to send it into overtime to begin with. And then the overtime was uh, pretty interesting. But I think anybody who had Virginia Tech in their bracket, which I did, uh, first of all, that probably busted 50% of the brackets. Though there was a bigger bracket buster later on that we'll talk about eventually. Um, But I think this game was a really, really great game. Uh, I would like to say that I am not happy with how many N1s Colin Castleton drew because I don't think it is possible for him to make that many N1s. And I've seen it and I saw it too many times at Michigan. But anyway, moving on to the next game. Next game was a matchup of 3-4 in the South region with the number three seeded Arkansas Razorbacks prevailing over the number 14 seed Colgate. I don't know what their nickname is. 85-68. The Raiders. Um, they... This game looked like for a while that Seth Davis's lock of the week, uh, Colgate beating Arkansas, the trendy the trendy three fourteen upset. Uh, the the game closed at under a ten point line, which is ridiculous for a for for a three fourteen game. It's insane. Um, Colgate was such a trendy upset pick, and I honestly could not tell you why. I think they couldn't have drawn a worse matchup. Than Arkansas because they drew the only they they drew the only three seed that just scores and doesn't play defense anyway so they were perfectly matched for Colgate style Colgate was up in this game had a sixteen to two run at some point but Arkansas at the end of the first half just completely shut this game down and then into the second half even Colgate had a big run to get out in the lead but Arkansas brought it back again and eventually crushed them by the end I think Colgate was a trendy pick for an upset because in some of these advanced metrics they were ranked in the top ten as we talked about a little bit uh, in previous podcasts. I think that gave people, you know, some thoughts that they'd be the trendy upset. But uh, in the end, as uh, Arkansas's coach uh, indicated, Arkansas squeezed Colgate, for those of you who haven't seen the video of him, squeezing a tube of toothpaste on the floor of the locker room before the game. Let's move to the next game, which was, again, the higher seed prevailing. This one, not a surprise at all. Number one seeded Illinois in the Midwest region, defeating number 16 seeded Drexel. 78 to 49. Uh, not much to talk about here, although I will say Illinois is looking easily out of all the games played today. I would say they're looking like the best team in the tournament, especially when you consider one of the teams that lost and you consider uh, Baylor, you know, had a few struggles against Hartford. But again, early in the early in the game, still ended up winning by a lot, which we'll get to that later. But Illinois did. Illinois did absolutely destroy Drexel. This is what you expect out of the one seed against the 16. But I think they just looked really good, really balanced scoring overall. Io didn't have to score 30 to win this game. I don't think they had a single score above 20. Pretty balanced scoring, good game overall from the Illini. All right, next action, a 6-11 seed, which sometimes sees upsets, but not in this case. Number 6 seed, Texas Tech, defeated number 11 seed, Utah State, in South Region action, action 65-53. If you like offense, you should definitely have never turned on this game at all. Uh, these are two very, very good defensive teams. In the end, scored in the 60s to the 50s at the end. Uh, it was a great game, too. Utah State, well, for the first half at least, Utah State had a lead. And then by the time the second half started, Texas Tech had a huge run to start the second half. I think 24-4 to at some point uh, was the run, spanning across the end of the first 
to the beginning of the second or the middle of the second, and then eventually just kept kept hanging on to that lead and ended up winning by 12. So not much madness at all in those first four games, but the fifth game, the madness started. It was a matchup of the two versus 15 in the South region. Ohio State, number two seeded against Oral Roberts, and Oral Roberts prevailed over Ohio State 75-72. The Buckeyes with another close game at the end of the game. In overtime, yep. Yes, in overtime. Uh, Patrick, your thoughts on this? Um, as I'm looking at it right now, nearly 95% of the brackets had Ohio State beating Oral Roberts, and if you pair that with the Florida, with the Florida Virginia Tech game, which is 7-10 games are always hotly contested, there were barely any brackets surviving after this, and I honestly thought that it might be one of those tournaments where not a single bracket survived the first day perfect. Uh, in the end, there are there. I think there are a few perfect brackets. Maybe maybe not actually, but uh, overall, I mean, Ohio State. This is the fourth game in a row that they have really they've had the lead at the end of the game and have just completely failed to close out games. Uh, the game against Illinois in the Big Ten tournament was the one game where they did not have the lead, but they were up 10 on Minnesota and let Minnesota bring it down to one. They were up 10 on Purdue. They let Purdue bring it into overtime. They were up 10 on Michigan, and they let Michigan get the final shot of the game that they just barely missed. Against Illinois, they had some chances to take the lead, missed those chances, went to overtime and lost by a lot, and here they are again. We're up by four with a minute and 30 left after playing a tight game throughout and then couldn't close the, couldn't seal the deal. Yeah, Ohio State fans must be being driven crazy by this loss, but it is true to true to their recent form. Um, you said 5% of the brackets had Oral Roberts beating Ohio State? 5% of the brackets are upset brackets, so let's just put it that way. Or, um, or 4% are Michigan fans and the other 1% went to Oral <laughs> Roberts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's possible, but I, I think actually, I think I looked at the quote-unquote people's bracket that ESPN did uh, that compiled all the results of the mo- of of what every single bracket picked, and I think actually the biggest, the the largest percentage favorite was Gonzaga at ninety eight percent. So there's definitely if two percent of people are picking against Gonzaga, it definitely makes sense that there's five percent against Ohio State. Although I will say they were playing the leading scorer in the country, uh, Max Aismith, which I don't know why his name is pronounced like that, but you know what it is. I'll respect it. Um, they they played a really good team, but you know what? They had two scores at twenty nine points and thirty points, and that still won them the game. That's got a that's not a good look for Ohio State. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if this, we're we're stuck on these brackets, but what, we're going to talk about brackets later. But while we're on this topic, I a I bet from being in brackets with people, there are a lot of people who just pick brackets, and I think some people don't understand that if you're fifteen versus two, they might not know anything about basketball and think fifteen is bigger than two, so you're better. And then there's also pools where if you come in last place, I've been in some of these. There you are, actually, yes. you, win, you win the I pool. I was about to say, there, so. there might be some some let's hope to get last placers in there. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, we'll move off of that monumental upset and go to a game involved that wasn't a monumental upset uh, involving number one Baylor and number 16 Hartford in the South region. Baylor prevails easily 79 to 55. Again, Baylor playing pretty well at the begin at well not at the beginning of the game but towards the end of the game to make this really look like it was an ugly game on paper. Uh, in reality, this game was I think thirteen to twelve Hartford halfway into the first half. But you know, Baylor figured it out. They drew up some plays, got some big threes, and then kind of kept the momentum rolling for the rest of the game. Not much of a challenge for them to win this game. Obviously, it's a one sixteen game. 
All right, in a game that the score, I think, uh, doesn't show how close the game was. Number eight, Loyola Chicago prevailed over number nine seeded Georgia Tech in the Midwest region, 71-60. Yeah, this was more of a five, six-point game than it was a 10-point game. Uh, overall, I think we knew that coming into the game without Georgia Tech's leading scorer, Moses Wright, that would be a huge issue for them. Look, the ACC player of the year was out. The ACC already didn't have a good day, if you look at it. Uh, we already talked about the Virginia Tech loss. Then there's this loss, and there's even another one coming later that I would admit is at least somewhat shocking. Um, overall, Georgia Tech, they did their best without their without their best player. Uh, but let, let's give them credit. They had a great season. They were on the bubble all the way until the end and then ended up easily in the tournament also with that auto-qualifier they won the ACC this year, so great season for Georgia Tech, but unfortunately got a bad break with the player testing positive, their best player, right before the game. Well, we move to the dreaded 12-5 matchup. That's dreaded if you're a five seed. Uh, it's very trendy, and the stats say, as we've talked about, that somehow, some way, a 12 usually beats a five. And in the Midwest region, the 12-seeded Oregon State Beavers defeated the fifth-seeded Tennessee Volunteers 70-56. Oregon State continuing to be on a roll from their Pac-12 rolling in the tournament. I would say this is probably the least likely 5-12 matchup. I would say everybody was in agreement with that. I think Winthrop was the most popular pick by numbers, and I think uh, UCSB was one of the biggest picks because of uh, Creighton's kind of confusing end to the season. There's a lot of people picking Georgetown because they won the Big East. So they, you got all those three games, and then you got Oregon State against a Tennessee team who has really been playing well at the end, the very end of the season. But Tennessee is a tale of two seasons. They started off 10-1, and one and they ended 8-8 eight and eight in their final 16. And I think a lot of people who, including myself, put Tennessee through a few rounds uh, were looking not at the 8-7 and seven before the tournament, but were looking at the 4-1 and one that was right before it and kind of cutting out that last bit. They kind of struggled at the end of the season. This team was a lot more talented than it ended up playing as. All right, in the 13-4 matchup in the Midwest, number four seeded Oklahoma State defeats number 13 Liberty 69-60. This game was pretty close throughout it, but, you know, overall in the low-scoring game, a nine-point margin is, it's not a blowout, but it's a pretty sizable margin. Uh, Pretty easy win for Oklahoma State outside of the first half. I think they struggled a little bit to get their, to, to kind of get it going. But Cade Cunningham all year has scored a majority of his points in the second half. He's even had scoreless first halves and then gone on to score 20 in the end of the game. I think the game where he had 40, he only had eight points or something like that in the first half and then scored all the rest of the 30 in overtime and in the fourth quarter or in the second half and overtime. So overall, Oklahoma State kind of does start slow. So this was not very surprising. But Liberty, credit to Liberty for playing well. They got they got an upset the last time they were in the tournament. Overall, looks like a trendy pro- program to be a 5-12 upset pick for a few years. And uh, in, a, in another game that I think was the surprising result just because of the margin of victory, number nine seeded Wisconsin defeats number eight seeded North Carolina in the South region, 85-62. Uh, I had North Carolina in this game by a narrow margin. I thought they would offensive rebound uh, very easily over Wisconsin. Uh, we talked about it once when Michigan played Wisconsin off a of COVID pause that Hunter Dickinson seemed to get every rebound possible and Wisconsin's big men in that game combined for zero rebounds in the entire game, which is pretty awful. Uh, 
This game, North Carolina was held under their season average in offensive rebounds, which they were one of the best teams in the country. I think they averaged 16 offensive rebounds a game, and they were held to about 13 or 14, which, again, still a monstrous amount, but when you consider that North Carolina has four big men that they like to play, and three of them who combine for over 30 rebounds, I think, or over 25 rebounds, it's crazy to see that Wisconsin was able to pull this out after having a lot of rebounding struggles, although you can attribute it to the fact that they have played in the Big Ten all season, and maybe, just finally, they are turning the corner on how to guard somebody that's big because they played Luka Garza, they played they played Kofi Coburn, they played under Dickinson twice. They've guarded plenty of big men, but not too successfully. I would say this is the first time they've done it successfully, and it led to a huge win for them. Yeah, I mean, you and I see a ton of Wisconsin games being you know, Big Ten fans in addition to college basketball fans, and... This is not the same Wisconsin no, team not that at the all. rest of the Big Ten not at all year. I mean, it did. they've looked awful at times, especially later on in the season. So, uh, credit to Wisconsin. They especially have, guarding centers. They've yeah. looked very confused for, and, for a and, lot and of the season. more outside shots than normal from their guard yep. play. And yep. Credit to Wisconsin. Um, they showed up when, when the bright lights were on. Let's move to And that was Roy Williams' first loss Correct. ever in the first round after 29 straight wins. First time Roy Williams has been out in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So it happened to Tom Izzo again. Not today, but last night. Tom Izzo out in the first round. Very unusual uh, for these big-name coaches. Let's move on to the Midwest region where the number two seed Houston took care easily of the number 15 seed Cleveland State, 87-56. Not much to talk about in this game. Uh, Houston came out on fire, and it looked like, I think you pointed out that it it seemed as though they had watched Ohio State lose and said, we got to come out and win this game early. Cleveland State battled back for a little bit, but then I think Houston was still up uh, a, a decent margin at halftime and just extended the lead throughout the second half. Yeah, they opened it up prior to the half and kept the, kept the foot on the gas pedal at the start of the second half. It never, it was Cleveland State was hanging around, making it respectable. A then, little bit, yeah. Then the game was out of reach quickly. Um, another matchup in the South region featuring a highly seeded Big Ten team that goes to overtime, number four Purdue and number 13 North Texas, with North Texas beating Purdue... 78-69 in overtime. This was a very, very surprising result, although I think if you look at it closely, Charles Bassey on Western Kentucky is supposed to be a lottery pick, um, and North Texas pretty much held them down on their way to winning the Conference USA Championship. In that championship game, he basically did nothing. The game was in the 50s and also went to overtime. Uh, so it could have been an indication that maybe we should see that Purdue likes to play through their bigs, and North Texas knows how to shut that down. I think we probably should have seen that, and maybe maybe not everybody should have picked Purdue. Yeah, and the start of overtime, I think uh, North Texas opened up with like nine straight points. It was basically over. Purdue didn't score in the beginning of overtime. Um, wasn't again, Once it got to overtime, game wasn't close, as the final score indicated. Uh, however, on the flip side, for another Big Ten team, this time an underdog, number 10-seeded Rutgers defeats number 7-seeded Clemson in Midwest region action. 60-56. This is a very ugly and scrappy kind of a game. Yeah, I guess if, if you want to call it scrappy, I think that's a little... I, I think I should have just stuck, stuck with a ugly. But overall, Rutgers, that is kind of how they play. They do play a lot of ugly games. They don't score a lot of points when they're, when they're playing better teams. Uh, most of the time, their defense keeps them in the game. They make a lot of turnovers. They play really, really hard. They play intense. And that's normally how they scrape out some victories, and that's exactly what happened against Clemson. All right. In the Midwest region, 
number 11 Syracuse defeats number 6 San Diego State 78-62. This was easily the most popular 11-6 upset. Uh, a lot of people thought Utah State shouldn't be in the tournament from the Mountain West, and a lot of people thought San Diego State was a little bit overseeded as a 6 seed. Uh, I myself, I think I had them as a 7 seed in my final bracket, but... Regardless of that, I think this is a really trendy pick because Syracuse was playing really, really well at the end of the season. Should have beat Virginia and lost on a buzzer beater from a from a score who had not scored a single point in the rest of the game before that. Uh, Syracuse was playing really, really well at the end of the season, and I think it was just an indication that they might be playing well trending into March. I think I can remember Jim Beheim making the Sweet 16 as an 11 seed before, and he can definitely do it again. All right, next action, uh, as you mentioned, one of the trendy 12-5 upset picks uh, did not come to fruition. Number 12, Winthrop, against number 5, Villanova in the South region with Villanova winning 73-63. Yeah, this was another one of the very popular upset picks. Um, a lot of people had Winthrop winning. I think, I, might, I, I think depending on the bracket that you're looking at, I think in my subjective picks where I tend to pick more upsets, I picked Winthrop and then my objective picks, I think I picked... Uh, Villanova, but regardless, it was a trendy upset pick. Plenty of people picked it, but in the end, Villanova pulls out the win. They do look like they they have enough firepower to get to at least the Sweet 16. Although I don't know if they can beat Baylor, uh, especially with their offensive output, it does not look good enough. Well, they got an easier path to the Sweet 16 now. We can talk. We'll be talking about this perhaps, uh, given that North Texas beat Purdue. That's who Villanova gets to face next, so that opens the door. Uh, final game of the night. Number three, West Virginia in the Midwest region defeats number 14, Moorhead State, 84-67. A notable thing about this game is that West Virginia had Bob Huggins stuck on his 899th win, I think for three weeks now. (laughs) Uh, One game went to overtime against Baylor, which would have been a really cool win to get to beat beat the team that only had one loss on on the season at the time. Uh, That would have been a great 900th win. Then they didn't do it. Then they lost to Oklahoma State without Cade Cunningham. Then they lost to them again in the Big 12 tournament with Cade Cunningham. And then they finally got Bob Huggins' 900th win. He doesn't have to end this season stuck on 899. Great for Coach Huggins. So now that we've uh, reviewed the results of the first round, the first day of the first round action, let's uh, take a look at some of your uh, bracket prediction methodologies, Patrick. We've talked about them in past podcasts, various uh, methods for picking brackets. How are those various methods doing? And maybe uh, your thoughts on whether you're surprised or not surprised on which ones are doing well and which ones aren't doing well. So far, the best one is uh, it's actually tied between Ken Palm and Ken Palm offensive efficiency. Um, those are doing the best currently, although I think Ohio State being out does does uh, put a little hit on that Ken Palm, because that is a team that was supposed to make the Elite Eight, according to that, definitely according to the offensive efficiency one. Uh, I would like to mention that my alternate bracket, my alternate subjective bracket that I never talked about on the podcast, so it doesn't really matter, is also tied there, but that's a different story. My next one is my objective picks. I think my subjective picks did a little bit worse than I thought they would, but um, my objective picks are up there. They they have 110 points, one win behind. They got 11 out of the 16 first-round matchups, one behind those other ones. I think the difference came in Virginia Tech, I would like to believe. Um, That was the big difference there, and then also tied with that one was the defensive efficiency bracket, although that one has... Uh, Loyola Chicago winning the finals, so not exactly the not exactly going to continue. I wouldn't expect 
The net is also tied there, and I think it is BPI too that is tied for that for that same amount of points, just one under the main ones. My subjective picks are at 100 points, two wins behind the main ones, uh, just because I pick a lot more upsets. And then the coaches and the AP people are tied with my subjective picks. And then last but not least, Chalk is, of course, not doing so hot with a 15 seed losing. There is a lot, a lot of the upsets today affected that Chalk bracket. And yeah, you know, we, we said we had some hope for it, but the random number generator, even with even with me picking the teams, it's it's too forced randomly to to work out very well. It's not doing awfully, but it is still significantly behind the other ones. But the worst bracket by far is the upset picks, and I think there's a reason for that. That is because I tried to go safe wherever I could. Except for um, except for the most popular upsets, but I picked Utah State because I figured I have to pick a 6-11 because I'm not going to pick a 1 to lose. Um, picked Winthrop because, again, not going to pick a 2 seed to lose. And then, of course, Oral Roberts said, well, we don't care that you think that a 2 seed wins. We're going to win anyway. Uh, obviously, picked Virginia Tech as an upset there, too, and that didn't work out either. So, overall, a lot of the upset picks were wrong. Uh, picked a lot of upsets in games that weren't upsets and picked chalk in games that were upsets. Overall, I mean, what do you think? Because I think this is about what I'd expect after the first day, but I think eventually when when it gets later in the tournament, that's where the chalk and the Ken Palm are going to be more off, I would say, and especially, and, and by the way, the AP and the coaches poll already kind of failing there because Virginia Tech was ranked in the final AP poll and the final coaches poll, whereas Florida was in the others receiving votes category, even though Virginia Tech ended up as a 10 seed and Florida ended up as a 7 seed. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I don't count 8-9s. I know you don't either as upsets. So right. the first round, there were some, there were uh, not, if, if, if not quantity of upsets, just the magnitude of yeah. the upsets that were there. There weren't a lot of upsets, but there were some pretty darn surprising ones. And I will also and say that... the ones that, that people thought were going to happen didn't, didn't happen. happen. Yeah. So I think a lot of people who are trying to... The trendy upset picks didn't happen. The picks that nobody had... I mean, let's... Nobody. 5% of the population had, you know, Ohio State losing. And, and frankly, they should just have their heads checked because... You didn't pick that unless you're a fan of the team or you really hate Ohio State. Well, look, there are two percent of there are two percent of brackets that have Gonzaga losing in the first right. round to Norfolk State. So clearly, there are some brackets that are trying to be last in their pools. There's always that. And I don't know how many folks outside of the state of Texas had North Texas over Purdue, particularly with Purdue playing in the state of Indiana. I just don't think that that was, and they were playing pretty well. They had had some momentum heading into the tournament. So I think that, as we said. Upsets. A lot of people picked upsets. They picked the wrong one. However, I do think that this bracket might start to turn tomorrow because I think there are a lot of high-rated Ken Palm teams that you wouldn't think are very high-rated in Ken Palm. Uh, there might or might not be a team, I, I think it's Abilene Christian, that actually somehow ended up higher. I forget if it's in offensive or defensive efficiency, but they ended up higher than Texas in in one of those efficiency categories. So that one's not going to end up too well. Uh, th this is going to turn eventually. And I also think tomorrow I said that Gonzaga's region is the that uh, Michigan's region is the most wide open, and Gonzaga's region is the most chaotic. And those were the two regions that did not play today. So I do think that by tomorrow, smart upset picks will start coming in. 
Uh, we'll see what happens in that Georgetown, Colorado game that I think is certainly very intriguing. You, UCSB and Ohio have been trendy upset picks, and we'll see what happens there. We know that Virginia literally just got into town, so there are a lot of trendy upset picks there, and I would say I'm not feeling too good about UCSB over Creighton after watching Villanova, to be quite honest, because I think the Big East was being underrated a little bit, and that might even boost some people's confidence in Georgetown beating Colorado. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. As we look at tomorrow's games, you mentioned maybe the Big East um, being a little bit underrated. Uh, some folks have said, oh my gosh, the Big Ten's overrated because Ohio State and Purdue falling, but yet they're ignoring that uh, Rutgers, the 10 seed one. Over an ACC team that they were lower seeded against, and also and Wisconsin, Wisconsin did the same thing. Wisconsin another ACC team. So what conferences, if we're looking to read some tea leaves and some upsets tomorrow, what, what conferences, maybe what, what games are you looking at, but what do you think told, today tells you? The ACC might end up with zero teams in the second round other than Syracuse. I, I think that's a very easy possibility. Um I think it's just Ohio and Virginia left. There might be another team that I'm forgetting that still plays. Um, I'm sure you could you could do yeah, some digging yeah, and Ohio, figure that Ohio, out. Virginia is the last. Uh, I, I think yeah, because I think they only got what six teams in the yeah. into the tournament because um, Louisville ended up missing it. So th- it's very possible Florida that State, sorry you, you and Florida State, State yeah. So it's very possible. Okay, well maybe with those two, I, I would say that that is very likely to be one four wins and one thirteen wins out of those two games. So I think you could see only two 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 ACC teams in the sweet in in the round of thirty two, and who knows if one even makes it to the Sweet Sixteen, which is crazy coming out of one of the most most the best conferences for a long long time. Uh, obviously, the traditional powers are not like are not as good as they have been recently. Uh, Duke obviously in North Car- North Carolina being an eight seed and Duke not even making the tournament certainly hurts them. Uh, I think the Big Ten people are kind of going crazy thinking that Michigan State losing is an indication that the conference is overrated. Uh, Ohio State's loss, I think, is more of an indication of if you keep... It's kind of doing... I feel like they were uh, towing the line of losing way too much at the end of the season and never learned their lesson. Um, I talked about how many times they almost lost the game right at the end. And I think this time it finally came back to bite them that they that they are not closing out games well at all. And I think I told you before, as Michigan fans, before we played them in that game, that I said, all I know is that if they're up by 10, I'm, I'm happier than us being up by 10 because they seem to find a way to choke every game by not scoring at all in the final few minutes. And that held true to form in overtime. Yeah, I, uh, I, interesting what's happening with the ACC. Very interesting to see how the, the, the headliners, the Big 12, uh, perform tomorrow. Um, I also, I mean, yeah, speaking on that, Baylor and Texas Tech, I think, were the only one, and, and West Virginia played today. Um, Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State, yeah. But, I mean, you know, one, six, three, and four seeds, but that is all the conference has to offer. So, <laughs> I mean, they only have top seeds in the tournament. They don't have any low seeds other than Oklahoma. But Oklahoma, again, missing their second leading scorer, their sharpshooter, Davion Harmon. So that'll be interesting. I mean, if that's the only first-round loss the Big 12 has, then I would be pleasantly surprised with their performances. And I would say that might indicate that Baylor is a lot better than people are giving them credit for going into the tournament. I think a lot of people have Illinois beating them uh, going to the championship game. Definitely a lot of people have Illinois winning it. And I am one of those people myself. Um, So... I think it is an indication that maybe the Big 12 is playing better than the Big 10, maybe just because they keep playing top teams all year and they're used to those high-intensity games. Because if you actually look at it, 
Illinois has kind of been blowing out some teams. Like, they have not played a close game. I mean, Ohio, the, the game against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game was close. But the, other than that, they have not played a close game in a while. They actually haven't played anybody but Ohio State close in their big win streak that they're on right now. Yeah, and, and we'll see what really interesting story of the Big 12 is Kansas. What's the impact of, of COVID on their team, which is a big unknown. Which, which Although we do know that actually, I've talked about it a few times, that David McCormick is going to be suiting up, which is a huge positive because if they were without their starting center against the number two draft prospect, who is a center, assuming they do make it to the second round against USC and USC makes it there themselves, that would have been a major disadvantage going into that game. But David McCormick will be in uniform. Uh, very, very important for Kansas. He is the center of their offense. They play through the post. So that is a major plus for them. I think that'll allow them to make it to the Sweet 16. All right. Well, we've kicked around some general themes for Saturday's action that will wrap up the first round of the NCAA tournament. Patrick, what are a few games that you're really looking forward to tomorrow? I think the ones I'm really looking at, um, you know, obviously the 8-9 games are always going to be close, same as the 7-10s. Uh, but outside of those, I think I'm looking at the 5-12s and the 4-13s in, the, in Gonzaga's region. Um, Creighton and UCSB is going to be a great game, and same thing as Virginia against Ohio. And I don't believe that Florida State-UNC-Greensboro will be as good as Virginia and Ohio, but I do think that Colorado-Georgetown will live up to the hype of a five of that matchup that we keep talking about, that 5-12 game. Uh, BYU-UCLA seems like it's going to be an interesting game. If you've looked at social media recently, you know that BYU has a very active Twitter account. They've had some interesting <laughs> stories going on with that team. Uh, UCLA played really well in the second half against Michigan State and looks to carry a lot of momentum into that game. We'll see how Johnny Juzang's injury or non-injury, really, really we don't know at this point, um, affects them. And I would say probably the best game of the day is going to be UConn against Maryland because... We have the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year and the bet, the highest-ranked draft prospect that is not a freshman, James Booknight. Uh, that'd be that'd be the freshman or the non-freshman I'm talking about. The Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, not gonna not mention his name, <laughs> is Daryl Morcel on Maryland. I, I stated in I stated in my weekend predictions that I think they will kind of stalemate a little bit, and it will come down to who has the best uh, production around them. And I think UConn's gonna gonna come out with the win. But it will be a great game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Although I think Maryland's going to win. You made reference to that UCLA BYU game. That game tips at 9:40 Eastern time. It's supposedly to, supposedly it's scheduled to. We had some games tonight that tipped a few 30 minutes after they were supposed to, and went way past midnight Eastern time. So, given the whole kerfuffle over BYU not playing on Sundays. My question is, if that game goes past midnight, does BYU just walk off the floor? Do they delay the game? You know, do they have some kind of exception that you can't start a game? I mean, if you can't play on Sunday, you can't play on Sunday. What do you think? Um, I don't know how the NCAA tournament's going to figure it out. I think off the podcast we've talked about this a few times, and I said, well, they should just forfeit if they don't want to play on the day that they're scheduled for it. Uh, the NCAA shouldn't have to schedule their games around um, religious stuff. But you know what? If, if BYU wants to walk off the court, I would say maybe you have some players. I'm looking at Matt Harms, the grad transfer from Purdue, that will say, <laughs> I will stay on the court because I am not that religious. And maybe you end up with a situation like, I don't know if anybody remembers it, but Colin Sexton was famous for almost winning a game three against five in against Minnesota when he was playing in college. 
and Alabama. BYU could do the same thing if they want to just build a lead early in this game. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, half-joking here. I, somehow I don't think that's going to happen. And somehow I think that there's a, an interpretation. Maybe it's they can't play on Sunday, Utah time. So I think that may have a couple extra hours. Possible. Very I, possible. I, I'm half-joking, but I do find that very interesting. I mean, if that is really an issue, why? I understand why it's the late game. They want the West Coast audience watching that matchup. I think that's going to be an intriguing matchup, uh, especially how well UCLA did responding at the end of the game against Michigan State. They, that was a team that was leading the Pac-12 until a, a late-season collapse. So we'll see about that one. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of our podcast. Uh, please join us on our next podcast on Monday, March 22nd, where we will take a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions. We will have our usual NBA weekend review, and we will continue talking more about NCAA tournament action, which actually continues through Monday due to the rearranging of tournament times this year. In the meantime, be sure to check out the content on our website, 4thand24.com, including Patrick's Weekend Predictions. That's at our website, 4thand24, which is the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.